Turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we are actually going to go into chapter 12 to verse 8 this evening. Next week, we'll finish the book of Ecclesiastes, then we're going to start the Gospel of John. If you want to start reading ahead, uh, we're going to tackle the Gospel of John next. You know, many times as we do something on a routine basis, uh, it can lose its meaning or we can get stuck in a rut. And so as we go to pray and study the word, let's uh, really calm our hearts and draw near to the Lord this evening and things that we're thankful for, maybe challenges that you're facing. And hopefully as we uh, spend time with the Lord, we can glorify the Lord and also that he would renew and change our perspective. So let's pray together. Father, we want to pause and acknowledge your presence here with us this evening. Meditate upon your character. There's some attributes of God that come to mind. Just thank him for who he is. Father, I thank you that you're gracious, that you're kind, that you're consistent, that you're faithful that you express unconditional love. Maybe what is weighing you this evening, just give it to the Lord. Invite him to work in in that situation. Just begin to examine where you have been Drinking for living water. What have you been going to for satisfaction? Jesus, we acknowledge afresh that you alone are living water, that you alone can provide satisfaction, that all the blessings and the accomplishments and experiences of this life apart from you, they leave us empty. So we want to come and dine. We want to come and receive from you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Ecclesiastes is fascinating because Solomon has tried all of these different things to experience fulfillment and satisfaction in this life, in under the sun living. He tries pleasure. Solomon has the opportunity to every pleasure that is imaginable. He's the king in Jerusalem, the king of Israel, And everything that he sees, he can have. Can you imagine? There's everything that your eye saw you wanted, that you could have it in that moment, and yet he says it's empty. It's meaningless apart from a relationship with God. So he leaves pleasure, and then he goes to possessions, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to build these palaces. I'm going to have these gardens. Everything was the state of the art. And he says, these possessions are not satisfying me. It's empty. It's vanity. He had so much gold in his kingdom that the Bible says that silver was like a stone. Can can you imagine? Oh man, it's just some silver, cast it out. Because we've got so much gold. He was probably the richest man on the earth at this time. For sure in the top 10. So we have to take from his experience and say, satisfaction can't be found in money. Position. He looks to what other people think about him to bring satisfaction. And he, in a very articulate way, says, man, position can't satisfy. 
because you're very quickly gonna be forgotten. And that really bothers Solomon from an under the sun perspective. Then in the second half of the book of Ecclesiastes, he focuses on wisdom, being moralistic. He turns into the classic nice guy with good morals. But yet, if you remember a few chapters back, he says that wisdom was elusive to him because he knew what to do, but he couldn't attain it. And isn't that true? If we get to the place where we realize, okay, partying's not it, possession's not it, position's not it, I'm going to try to be moralistic. I'm going to try to get my act together, clean my act up together, live in a wise manner, but yet we can't live up to the standard that we long for. And even morals is empty apart from a relationship with God. There's going to be a lot of people not in heaven who are extremely moral. They're good people. They're good in society, but they don't know Christ. They haven't trusted Christ for salvation. So if you've journeyed with us this long in the book of Ecclesiastes, I hope you come back next week. Because we're going to focus on the conclusion of the whole matter. Of what is it that God has for us to fear God and to keep his commandments, to be in relationship with him. What Solomon focuses on in chapter 11 and going into chapter 12 is to live generously. He really encourages us to be someone who gives, and then he gives a challenge to the youth, to young people, and saying, now's the time to live for God. So to live generously, to live responsibly, all with this theme of remembering your creator, that we're accountable to our creator. Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find them after many days. This is speaking of giving. Cast your bread upon the waters. Give, share. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Well, what good is my bread going to do upon the waters? Why would I cast my bread? Why would I give this to someone else? And then what we find is, after many days, you will receive it. And isn't this often the case in life? You invest in your children, you pour your life into them, and many times they're the ones that are caring for you in the latter half of your life, at the end of your life, as your life begins to dim and your life be, begins to fade. Jesus told us that freely we've received and to, to freely be able uh, to give. When it comes to giving, it really finds itself in the very character of who God is. God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He expresses his love through giving, and he gives lavishly to the point of giving his only begotten son. He wants us and the world to know that we're loved by the Father, so he gives his only son. As God has touched our hearts with his grace, God calls us to be a cheerful giver, to purpose in our own heart, to be led by the Holy Spirit. So if we're giving in any fashion out of obligation or it's our grudge, it's like, oh, okay, man, God must be broke and so I'm gonna give, I'm gonna help somebody, I'm gonna share, share with my time. I think God would say, hey, you don't have to. Keep it to yourself. Go, go ahead. I, I'm not broke. I don't need it. He's glorified as we give cheerfully, as we give hilariously out of what he has poured into our lives and our understanding of the gospel. Giving frees us from greed. When my heart is in a place where I'm not giving, I'm not sharing, I'm not looking to needs of others, it's very easy to just focus on myself. 
And so giving frees us from that place of greed. God wants us to live generously. He wants us to be a cheerful giver. And how that looks is between you and the Lord. And that's what's exciting. How he leads you in this path of being able uh, to give. And though this is a general principle that a lot of times when you give, you find it back after many days, this isn't the motivation for giving. And we're not giving, hoping that we're going to give something in return. When I look at God giving his son, he did it out of an expression of love, whether he received nothing in response or not. He still saw it worthwhile to give his son, even if someone rejects his son. And that's the idea of giving, is saying, who knows how they're going to respond to it, but God's a giver, and he's expressed his love through giving, and God is leading me to give So I'm stepping out in faith in this. So please don't adopt some weird theology of name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. And if you give, then God's going to give it to you at like a 20% interest rate or 100% interest rate. Don't fall for any wacko that tells you that type of thing. You know, don't call in and give them your debit card or send them a check or online giving or no, that's crazy, right? You give out of a leading from the Lord with not this strings attached that it's some kind of scam and a guarantee of of 20% uh, interest. So I want to share just a little bit of how I've seen this in my life and how it has worked out. As many of you know, I started here at the church as the junior high youth pastor many moons ago, right? So I was I was 21, just about ready to turn 22, and there was a group of junior hires at that time, and then my wife, Amber, and I met and got married and did youth ministry together and had a a great time. And there's one of those junior hires that uh, I began to disciple. There was a small discipleship book that we would uh, go through, and man, just great time seeing God do a work in his life. And I got to move up and be the high school pastor, and he moved up into high school. So I got to be his youth pastor in junior high and high school. And then as he graduated high school, I became the senior pastor, and, and he hasn't been able to get away from me, right? And, and now he's got four kids. He's married, he's got four kids, and him and his wife are good friends to us, and they give back in, in our lives. And that time span of our age has shrunk as maturity has taken place. You know, I'm 21, 22, he's in junior high. You do the math, he's still younger than me, right? But him and his wife, they, they really are, are pouring back into our lives. Uh, his, his oldest son and our youngest are the same age. Now, when I was doing junior high ministry, I would have never guessed that he would have a son, and I would have a son that would be the same age, right? But they're, they're little buddies, they're two weeks apart, and they always, they play together, and it's just awesome, right? God is, is so good, and, and I have been blessed, you know, just as much, if not more, by, by him and his wife and their kids, and just walking with them through, through all of these years, and that's really what this verse speaks about, you know? You think of Paul and Timothy and that relationship that they had and how Paul was investing in Timothy and who was blessed more. I think they were both blessed, right? But how blessed are you when you just hold on to your bread, right? When you hold on to your cookies and you go, wow, these are some really good cookies. Now, complete side note, are you guys really hot? Yeah, is everybody hot? Uh, Miles, can you do me a favor and find Pastor Robert and see if he can do magic on the 
air conditioning. Thank you, Miles. Let's give a hand for Miles. Yeah! So, I'm sweating like a horse up here. I see you guys fanning yourselves and everything. Yeah. So give, right? Give. And see the Lord work as you share your financial resources, as you share your time and your talents, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead in that way. Verse 2. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be done on the earth. This seems like extreme giving, right? Feeding seven, feeding eight, my goodness. Solomon's saying, just set a big table. Have a bunch of people over because you don't know what evil is going to take place. That giving has value as you live in an evil day. You don't know if you'll always have the opportunity to give because there is suffering and there is evil that takes place. We live in some pretty interesting times. Our culture is very polarized. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. With that, generosity that's rooted in the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ has the opportunity to shine at even a greater level. Kindness stands out. Treating people with respect, treating them with love, and treating them with hospitality, being willing to to share and, and to give as the Spirit leads. That really stands out because our culture is so far removed from that. In verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. If you look up in the mountains and you see trees that have been blown down, they're going to stay right where they fell. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you're waiting for the perfect opportunity to give, it'll never come. And this is why I think a lot of times we miss out on giving. I miss out on giving is because I do the math and I go, wait a second, I don't have the time to do this. You know, this, this doesn't compute. If I do this, then the weekly schedule is not going to work out. Or the budget doesn't have this put in place for it. But if we're always waiting till we can afford it, whether we have the time or we have the money, we're going to miss out on what God would, would want to do. And obviously, you have to be wise in, in your giving. You've got to make sure that it's sustainable and you're healthy in your relationship with the Lord and, and your family and your finances and all of those things. But we can always find a good reason why not to give, can't we? We can always go, well, you know, the wind's just not quite right for giving today. <laughs> The clouds are out. It's not quite right for giving today. So don't wait for that perfect opportunity to step out in things that God has already called you to do. These are things that the Lord has already called us to do. And if we're waiting for the perfect time, that perfect time will never come. In verse 5, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the, in the womb of her whom is with child, So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. So we don't know. We don't know the way of the wind. We don't know what causes a baby inside of the womb for the bones to be able to grow. Think about what Solomon knew of the process inside of the womb and what we know today 
of the process inside of the womb. We know far more than Solomon did. 3D ultrasounds are amazing. You look inside of there and you see the facial features of your kid. And they come out and you're like, I've seen you before, right? I saw you in the, in the ultrasound. I mean, years ago when Amber was pregnant with our oldest, we got a book. Remember those things? A book. We got a book from Barnes & Noble. And it had what was taking place in the womb. And it started off with each day. Each day what was, was taking place with, with mom and baby. And then it would move to each week. And it was just blowing my mind all the things that were taking place. And Solomon highlights this of our lack of knowledge. Even today, there's a mystery amazing that God is the giver of life, and he's the one who makes everything work. And how does this tie into giving? Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not, not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Sometimes I think we get frustrated in giving and sharing and reaching out to, to people in general, people specifically, because we go, it just doesn't do any good, you know? Here I've been giving, here I've been sharing, and there hasn't been a lot of fruit, there hasn't been a lot of results, or I've been investing in this person, and it doesn't seem like there's any fruit. And that can be extremely discouraging, can it? People's hearts are so hard. Society just doesn't even care. What does it matter if, if I'm kind? And verse 6 is really telling us that keep sowing, keep giving, because you don't know what's going to prosper. We really don't know what God is going to do. You don't know how he's going to use that seed, how he's going to use that kind word, how he's going to use the gospel shared in someone's life in, in love how God's going to use that little bit of extra time that you invested into their life. So the encouragement is every morning, get up and sow the seed. Get up with that perspective of, God, I'm going to serve you. God, I'm going to live generously. And then at night, don't withhold your hand. And I like that phrase because it's so easy to withhold our hand. I can think of times where I really feel moved to serve or moved to give and I kind of simply just put my hands in my pockets and I withhold for one, ev one reason or another. I'm afraid, I'm timid, I talk myself out of it, get distracted, variety of different reasons. And then other times when I step out in faith. So be encouraged tonight. If you're sowing that seed, if you're giving and you're sharing and you're doing what God has asked you to do and it's difficult, maybe you've got this coworker that you know you're going to deal with this week. Maybe you're going to deal with them tomorrow, and you're like, man, I feel like I've been serving this knucklehead for an eternity, right? And nothing is happening. Absolutely nothing is happening. All you're called to do is be faithful, and who knows what God will do? Who knows how God's going to use that love that you're pouring into to their, their, their life? But we're never going to know if we don't keep serving, if we don't keep giving. Verse 7, truly the light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. This is the amazing gift of life that God gives to us. When you see the light in the morning, is it, oh no, here's another day. Ah, right? This light is the most depressing thing that's happened. It's ruined my sleep. I mean, it's daylight savings time next weekend. Oh, 
it's going to mess everything up, (laughs) right? Or, Lord, thank you for another day. You're good. Your mercies are new this morning. Thank you that you have fresh mercy for me this morning because, Lord, you know that I need it. And to celebrate the light that he brings in to our lives. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Solomon doesn't want to encourage us too much. You know, he's like, if you're just getting too many happy thoughts about all this light stuff, just remember, you're going to have some really hard days. Mama said there'd be days like this, right? So he's just keeping us balanced, keeping us centered in reality. Yes, there's going to be times of difficulty. And from an under-the-sun perspective, not looking at things through eternity in a relationship with God, all things are, are vanity and they're empty. Now from verse 9 going into chapter 12, he focuses on the young man, the young person. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. If you're young, it's a tremendous gift that God has given to you. Youth is an amazing thing. George Bernard Shaw is quoted by saying this, the trouble with youth is that it's wasted on the young, right? All of our lives are a testimony to that, right? So I'm like, why did I do this in my youth? Why did I do this when I was, was young? I had so much energy and, and I wasted it. So if you're young, it is a tremendous gift from God. You think about those in scripture that God used powerfully and many of them were young. Joseph was a young man as he was sold as a slave and served the Lord in integrity under Potiphar. God raised him up to be the second in command of all of Egypt. Daniel was a young man, a young teen when he was taken captive to Babylon. Talk about some peer pressure. And he purposed in his heart to honor God. God used Daniel in an incredible way in a phenomenal way before the Lord. We look at Ruth. She was probably a young woman, even though she was widowed. And in her faithfulness, she served God, and she's used by the Lord. Esther, for sure, a young woman. And she stands out as serving God and her life being set apart from the Lord. Even in a secular environment, youth is powerful. When the Arab Spring happened several years ago, it was a youth-led movement. The youth were the ones that were able to turn those countries upside down in revolution. Unbelievers all over the world are scamming and scheming and dreaming of how do we get the hearts and minds of young people because if the hearts and minds of young people can be won, then real change is going to take place. Now, there's a blessing that comes with maturity, age, years of walking with the Lord, but there's also a danger that comes with maturity is we're a lot less willing to take risks, amen, right? It's like, man, I've been there, I've done that, I'm just gonna kind of play it safe. But when you're young, you're like, I'm gonna pioneer something. I'm gonna get out and do something. I don't know why everybody that's older is sitting around. Man, I wanna go, I wanna do it. 
And that's engineered by God. God has given that to youth. And so when you look at verse nine, young people, is to realize that your youth is a gift from God and to live it up for the glory of God, to take advantage of it to the glory of God. And Solomon says that you should love your youth. Let your heart be in a place of being happy and cheerful and walk in the ways of your heart and walk in the sight of your eyes. Follow those dreams that God has placed upon your heart. Now the key thing there is what God has placed on your heart. Psalms 37.4 is the key to unlocking this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of our heart, apart from a relationship with God, are dangerous, aren't they? But when we get into a relationship with God and we delight in him, he writes his will upon our hearts and follow those things. Take those steps of faith. And then notice that there's an accountability there. Pursue all of these things that are in your heart and know that you'll answer to God. Each of us are going to answer to God. We're accountable to the Lord. That's often something that we don't think about when we're young. Man, I've got to answer to the Lord. It's not just that I'm going to answer my parents or my principal or my school teacher or police officer. I'm going to have to stand before God and be accountable for the life that he has given me to do. And I just want to share my heart for all of those that are in the younger demographic is dream and dream big and step out into things that God, God has for you. Have goals. Ask that God would give you a goal. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? You know, is there a career that you want me to pursue? Are there skills that I should start be, being developed? And don't underestimate God's power to be able to use your life. Timothy is another person that was young, that was used by the Lord. And Paul encourages him and exhorts him and says, you know what? Don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example unto the believers. Maybe you've been waiting to pursue what God has put on your heart because you're like, man, I'm too young. I don't have enough experience. No, you pursue it. Be faithful in the little things. Walk in humility and pursue what God's placed upon your heart. In verse 10, Solomon in his way of uh, encouragement now focuses on old age. He says, therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. It says, in this youth that God has given you to do, don't overly focus on sorrow. Remove sorrow from your heart. From my perspective, it seems like this is something that's really tripping up young people is sorrow of heart. There's so much pressure on young people to have it all figured out. How are you going to pay the bills? that many young people are walking around in a place of, of sorrow of heart, and God's word is saying, remove sorrow of heart. Don't get overly focused on all of these trials and difficulties. I think we need to be careful, I need to be careful, how we speak to young people, right? Because if we listen to the way we talk, sometimes we can leave young people hopeless, can't we? They're hearing us talk about our country, they're hearing us talk about the political situation, the spiritual climate, and we're pretty much saying everything is garbage, right? With not any hope that God is moving or doing a work or people are going to get saved or none of that's coming out. The only thing that's coming out is really fear and discouragement from us 
And then their perspective is one of, well, I better just punt, right? If all of the old people in my life feel this way, basically because if you're 16, anybody that's 30 or above is ancient, right? So like, man, all these mature old people are so discouraged and, and, and down on life, they don't have any expectation for God to move. So, so why would I have any expectation of move? So remove that sorrow of heart and then put evil away from your flesh. This is really important at every stage of life, but especially young people. I was talking with a couple friends on Friday about Psalms 119. How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Why is it focused on a young person? Because if a young person can walk in holiness by taking heed to the word of God, then anybody can walk in holiness by taking heed to the word of God. There's temptation at all ages, but it seems like temptation is at a peak when we're young. So if you're young, pursue holiness. Put evil away from your life because evil is going to destroy you. It's going to destroy the plan that God has for your life. These people that I mentioned from the scripture that God used from a young age all had one thing in common, and that was a love for God and a willingness to walk in his ways. Daniel, Joseph, Esther, Timothy, they loved the Lord and they were willing to walk in his ways. Don't let the world tell you that you're missing out. Like, man, everybody's sleeping around, having sex. I'm missing out on something. No, you're not missing out. They're destroying their lives, right? Young people smoking pot. Man, telling you, you're missing out. You gotta try this. You're not missing out on anything. You're saving your brain cells, right? And you're saving your money. What happens when you smoke pot? All you wanna do is eat Cheetos and do nothing. (laughs) Is that what you want for your life? Like, What's your plans? I don't know. I'm just going to keep eating Cheetos and smoking pot, right? Why is there no motivation? Because maybe the young people are stoned out of their mind, okay? You're not missing out. You don't need that. There's nothing that evil presents you that's worthwhile. It's going to be difficult on this side. You're going to have to give up on a momentary pleasure for a lifetime that's worth living, but you're never going to regret it. If you're doubting that, just talk to us old people after service. All of us will tell you, it's not worth it, right? Pursue holiness. Pursue walking with the Lord. Here's the theme. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now your creator. This is a call to reverence. This speaks of urgency. The idea of remembering is something that is is pricking. It's calling us to a, a place of urgency. I'm remembering my creator. I'm standing in reverence and awe of the fact that I am created by God. Hold on to that. Hold on to that, young, young person. You are created by God. You're designed by God. Remember your creator. He loves you. You're accountable to him. There's this idea here where Solomon is saying, now's the time to choose to serve the Lord. Now's the time to follow the Lord before things get difficult. I grew up in the church, and I remember thinking a lot of times, you know, I'm going to do what I want for a while, 
And then when I'm old, like when I get married and have kids and settle down, that's when I'll serve the Lord. But right now it's going to be Team Eric. It's going to be my time. I'm going to do whatever sinful thing that I can imagine myself getting into. And thankfully, when I was a freshman in high school, God got a hold of my life just before I was having opportunity to make some of those decisions. And I'm so glad that I chose to serve the Lord when I was 14 because if I would have waited till I was 28, it may have been too late. If I would have waited till I was 40 years old, it may have been too late. What Solomon's actually saying is it's going to get harder to choose when you're older than it is right now. I want to challenge you, if you can't choose to serve the Lord today, what, what's to say that it's going to be easier to make that choice 10 years from now or 15 years from now? A powerful song, an old song says, I have decided to follow Christ. No turning back. There was that point of decision. Are we going to sin? Are we going to mess up and learn from that and grow? Absolutely. But that choice to say, my life belongs to the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. Now, is this true of no matter what our age is? Yes. God's not a respecter of persons. And though Solomon is focusing on young people, today's the day to serve the Lord. Today's the day to remember your creator. And maybe you go in your life and you say, man, I really never have served the Lord. And I'm not young. Is it too late for me? No, it's not too late for you. God's a God of grace and a God of restoration. You've got a lot of life in front of you and say, I'm going to serve the Lord right now. But if we're saying, I'm going to wait to serve God until it gets easier, that day's probably never going to come, right? Solomon's right. The days are going to get more difficult. The days are going to get more challenging. So choose today to be able to serve the Lord. In verse 2, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. In poetic language, Solomon begins to describe old age. When the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are, are darkened, vision starts to diminish. In verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, an inability to be able to do work. Time is going to get the best of us all, isn't it? Right? Eventually, we're not going to be able to do the things that we once did because of age. In verse 4, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all of the daughters of music are brought low. Well, guys, this year I celebrated my 40th birthday, right? One thing I'm noticing is it's just a little bit harder to sleep, right? I still sleep good, but a little bird chirps in the neighborhood and Eric Cartier is up, right? Oh, man, what, what, what's just happened here? I heard something in the yard, right? Now I'm up and I'm awake and, oh, it's a little bit too hot in here. <sighs> I can't sleep. I'm so hot right now. Going through menopause. <laughs> like, this is really happening to me. Like, the normal amount of covers have been perfectly fine. Now I put the same amount of covers on. I'm like, I am so hot. And Amber's like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. It's my hormones, right? <laughs> You can't sleep. Now I got to go read a book and cool down, you know, to be able to get back to get back to sleep. And Solomon's describing this. 
when you're young, you don't wake up at the birds. You know, you're not getting too hot at night or having to use the restroom. So young people, enjoy your sleep. (laughs) Someday you're going to wake up because of a bird. Verse 5, also they are afraid of height and of tares in the way when the almond trees and the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails for man goes to his eternal home. So you see him describing this process of getting old and elderly and getting to this place now where we're afraid. You know, you see elderly people and there's a fear that comes over them. Like, man, I, I can't protect myself. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm concerned about these steps and how am I going to be able to get out of my house and all of those things that are taking place. Even the, the grasshopper, a very small thing, is a burden and then eventually going to their eternal home. Solomon is emphasizing this to encourage young people to take advantage of their youth, to take advantage of the time that they've been given to be able to to serve the Lord. The end of verse 5, it says, and the mourners go about the streets. As someone enters into their eternal home, there's that memorial, there's that funeral service. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, before you die, before you pass away, Are the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, then dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. For those of us that aren't young, we read this and we go, man, this might be the most discouraging section of all, of all of Ecclesiastes, right? So what does the rest of scripture tell us about old age, right? From a biblical perspective, old age is something that is to be respected. The Bible talks a lot about respecting our our elders. The Proverbs, and Solomon wrote Proverbs, speaks of wisdom and the wisdom that comes with, with gray hair, right? And just like God used young people in scripture, he also used older people in scripture that were were willing. And to be able to say, I may not be young, but what has God taught me in all of these years and what's really important and then this season of my life and how could God use me? The greatest old man in the Bible from my perspective is Caleb. Caleb gets into the promised land and he's old. His generation has died in the wilderness. It's just him and Joshua. And he has a conversation with his buddy Joshua. And he's saying, you know what? Give me my inheritance. I want all that God has for me. I'm not stepping back. I'm not shrinking back. And even though his body was starting to fail, his spirit was alive with God. And he was stronger in his relationship with the Lord than he's ever been. And that's how we want to go out. Amen? Even though our bodies may fail, that our inward man's being renewed day by day, and we're taking those opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ. This is what I've watched with young people, and I may be wrong in this, but the young people in our youth ministry and our children's ministry long, 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 long for older people to invest in them. They've got a lot of friends and they don't have many mentors. They don't have many teachers. They don't have spiritual fathers 
and spiritual mothers. And they're not expecting youth leaders or Sunday school teachers to go in there and act like kids and have all the lingo down, right? You don't have to go into the high school room and figure out all the things that they're into for them to listen to you. All you really have to do is love them and give them some time. You'd be surprised no matter what your age is, if you talked with Josh or Tim, our youth pastors, and said, you know, I really do have a heart for youth. I want to be a youth leader. And you were consistent, and you showed up in there, and you learned their names and asked them what was going on in school. They would eat you up like a chocolate chip cookie. They'd be like, you are awesome, you know? You, you are loving me. And then if you brought some chocolate chip cookies, woo, look out, right? Bring in some pizza from Costco, and they're going to do a rain dance. You're like, what just happened here? And they, they listen to you. They really want to be invested in by you. Uh, research that's been done on the millennial generation is longing for the generation right before them to invest in them and to take time with them and to spend time with them. But the enemy says, oh, you're not relatable. The enemy says, well, they're, they're never going to, to listen to you. And that's a real need in our church with, with junior high and high school and, and children's ministry. And those are the best ministries in the church, right? To be able to say, man, I, I actually think that I have something that I could offer to a 16-year-old. I have something that I could offer to a 13-year-old. I have something that I could offer to an 8-year-old. 8 is awesome. Like, 8 is the best age. They're wet cement. If you get ridiculed everywhere you go, you need to be a third-grade Sunday school teacher. They will walk, kiss the ground you walk on every Sunday, right? Every Saturday night. It's like, this is, this is amazing. You're, you're investing in me. So we, we look at where we're at in life and we can say, man, I'm going to seize this opportunity and I'm going to serve the Lord. So out of this text, first take the opportunity to give. Live generously. Cast your bread on the waters and in many days it will come back to you. And then young people, serve the Lord. Young people, sir, serve the Lord. If you have committed your life to Christ, stay in that commitment. If you haven't committed your life to Christ, Maybe you know Christ as your Savior, but you haven't said, I have committed myself to follow him. As we head back into worship, I want to encourage you, challenge you, come down here and pray in the front. I think there's value in responding to prayer and saying, God, I'm committing my life to you. Here I am, I'm 15 years old. God, I'm committing my life to you. I'm 23 years old. I'm committing my life to you. You're 27 years old. You may feel ancient. No, you're young. God, I, I'm serving you. I'm committing my life to you. You may be 88 years old and God's leading you to commit yourself to serving the Lord. Do it. Who knows what he could do? He might give you 12 more years and you're gonna be an amazing Billy Graham in the next 12 years of your life, right? This seize the time that God has given to us. Let's stand together and let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we see how generous you are, how giving you are, how Jesus, you came bringing and declaring the gospel. You laid down your life in your love. Lord, help us to be led by the Spirit to freely give because we freely received. Lord, we pray for the young people in our church. We're so thankful for them.
Pray for a continued move of the Spirit, that you would raise up Daniels and Joshua's, that you would raise up Esther's and Ruth's and Mary's and Timothy's, young people that really have a heart for you, that want to serve you. We just pray for your hand of protection upon the high school and the junior high and the children's ministry. Would you raise up laborers, Lord, for them? We pray over the youth of our community, those that don't know you, have not thought about you, that even have a hard heart against you, that your spirit would move, that you would raise up people like the Apostle Paul who are radically opposed but find themselves tremendously transformed by your love for them. Lord, no matter our age, we want to renew our commitment to you. You are living water. You are the bread of life. Where else are we going to go? God, would you continue to move as we continue into worship? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.